creepies. <laughs> what up, creepies? We're starting off on a fun note for a not-so-fun episode. <laughs> but you know what? We're here. We made it. Just technical difficulties, as we've talked about the last couple times. It's going smooth today. Yeah, no issues. Let's knock on some wood. Keep it going. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, how's your life been? No. <laughs> that about right? Yep, yep. All right. <laughs> I feel that. Um, but it's almost the end of the week. So we got that going for us. Yep. Mm-hmm. Almost weekend. It's it's almost hump day, which is almost weekend. Right. Almost Wednesday means almost kind of sort of Friday. <laughs> so, But it's going to be Sunday and Monday. So technically when you guys hear it, the week's going to just be beginning. Oh, sorry guys, sorry. <laughs> sorry if we like made you roll your eyes listening to that. <laughs> but Monday is almost Wednesday, which is almost Friday, so am I right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trying to make it positive. <laughs> um, so some little fun news. I found a new TV series. Um, it's the woman in the house across the street from a girl in the window. Very, um crazy title it makes you kind of lose your breath trying to say it all um don't worry i'm not going to give spoilers away because i'm not even done with it um i know most people are like oh i binged it like right so away. fast but in my defense i started it late at night and it was a work night and as much as i wanted to stay up i was like damn it and i was like all right i'll watch the rest tomorrow that's okay you can savor it more you know taking it in slow um it's how got, do you like it so far okay it's got my kd in it right it's got the Kristen Bell has a little bit of a Veronica Mars feel to it. Love like it. Her little, you know, mm-hmm. detective. Um, but it it's very um, it's dark. Okay. Um, so it's dark humor. Yeah, but that's okay because. Yep. <laughs> Welcome to a uh, horror one and crime. Yes. <laughs> um, I- I'll let you know a hundred percent when it's over. Okay. Um, we'll talk, but. I'm digging it so far. Okay. How many episodes are there? Like, not a lot, right? Only like 10, I thought. I Something. Saw. I think I'm about to start episode 7. So okay. I gotta be getting close. Okay. My cousin watched it, actually, and he posted um, his opinion of it on Facebook, and he was not a fan. He was, like, excited because he loves Kristen Bell, and he was like, oh, I feel like it's gonna be so good. And he was not impressed, so I'm hearing, yeah, <laughs> she's giving you the loser, <laughs> the loser sign. I'm hearing mixed review so i'm i'm definitely gonna watch it just to like obviously form my own opinion but um i don't know i guess we'll see speaking of k-bell which reminds me of dax shepherd so hey best friend dax shepherd what up okay so in other news we are having a valentine's contest um one dollar um all you have to do is go to horrorandwineandcrime.com there's a donate button there um i'll take you to paypal or if you know us personally, you know how to get a hold of us, mm-hmm. okay? Zelle, PayPal, however you want to do it, cash, you know. All the things. Refinance your house. I mean, whatever you need to do <laughs> to get a dollar. Um, but we, it's going to be after Valentine's Day that we announce this. Uh, we're going to stretch it out a little bit longer instead of doing it Valentine's Day. We're going to do like a Valentine's, it's like a month because it's the month of Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. So. Hopefully that makes sense to you guys. Um, So it'll be some fun, cute stuff in there. So get your tickets in. One dollar, get your name, and a chance to win fun stuff. Exactly. 
And uh, sometimes we personalize it, too, like, depending on who the winner is and whatever. So you definitely, it's definitely worth more than a dollar. So you're making a, making a good deal there. Uh, yeah, we sent the very expensive gizmo out to Florida last I know. <laughs> so it's and well worth it. we got the cutest it. picture back of a little baby girl playing with it. Yes. Aww. So adorable. She's very cute. <laughs> and uh, then also, before KK takes us on this journey of our next story, we are drinking Resort Pike today. It is a cider winery, and it's caramel apple flavor, hard cider. I went to Frankenmuth with the fam, and you can't go to Frankenmuth and not buy wine. True. It's, it's just not a thing. Mm-mm. They and go like hand our, in hand. Yeah, like our Sagatuck vacation right. last year. <laughs> We're like, oh, crap, for next time. Yep. Um, but I will have to say... Decent. It's not my favorite. I probably wouldn't buy like a six pack of it because they're individual bottles, like a beer bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it tastes just a little bit of yeast away of being a beer. And I'm not a beer drinker. I try. I sorry, all you beer drinkers. I can't get down with it. I can do the fruity drinks, the wine, and I will do whiskey. KK knows. I oh, drove there to a whiskey Lola bar. Lola loves her whiskey. <laughs> and she's like, oh my god. I was like. My face when she gave me a shot of this one. I don't know. I I don't know. I, I can do the peanut butter whiskey. I haven't tried too many whiskeys, but... You just um, don't like a straight, basically. No, no. It really, really burned every part of my body just going down. <laughs> so we did the slam it. Let's get in the car and get to the hotel before it kicks in. Go, go, go. <laughs> right. Because I drink mine and hers. <laughs> um, this is also a responsible. Uh, do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Yes. 100%. Um, yeah, I'm with you. Not... My favorite, um, I don't hate it, but yeah, it's definitely like right, like you said, on the border of the beer side. It looks like a beer, like right about uh, on the edge of being a beer. So I'm not a beer person either. So, I mean, if you love beer I f- and you love cider, I feel like you would love this because it's like a combination of the two. But um, yeah, not, not bad. I can taste the caramel apple in it too. Um, but yeah, to kind of switch... Uh, things up I guess the mood um, we are gonna get started on the story today it is about um, a young girl named Maddie Clifton which um, I'm sorry I also want to say thank you to Sarah Colton from Lincoln Park Michigan she gave us the idea and kind of I don't know if it was a request or suggestion but she brought this to our attention, and so we give a shout-out to Sarah Colton. Thank you, super fan. Yes, thank you. Um, kind of a, a little bit of a disclaimer at the beginning of this. Um, this is a very, I mean, a lot, all of the stories we do are pretty sad. This one just involves um, the death of a child, and some of the details get pretty intense. So just a warning if you don't really want to listen to that Uh yeah, just be warned, because it gets a little crazy. This is a, the trigger warning. Yeah, exactly. So, Maddie Clifton was born on June 17, 1990. Um, her parents were Steve and Sheila Clifton. Uh, Maddie also had an older sister named Jessie. Uh, they all lived together in a neighborhood called Lakewood in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, they lived on Fleetwood Road, and it was like a cul-de-sac uh, type of situation. So... Kind of when I was, like, looking into this, there wasn't a lot of information on Maddie, which was really sad. Um, it, there just wasn't a lot of details about her. I mean, she was eight years old, so she was very young. So 
I guess that makes sense, you know, why there wouldn't be too many details. Um, what I, you know, did find is that she loved to play sports. Um, she loved hockey. She loved baseball. She was a tomboy, but also a girly girl. She loved to dance and play, play the piano. Um, and she was said to be a very sweet little girl, and lots of people loved her. Yeah, her tutu, her converse, and a baseball bat. <laughs> yes, exactly. I love it. She sounds awesome, honestly. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, there were way more specifics and details on her killer which is kind of like just kind of annoying because like you know she was the victim and I don't know there just wasn't a lot of information on her out there but like I said she was eight when she died so not a lot of info out there on her so November 3rd 1998 um, on this afternoon Maddie came home from school and she played the piano for about 20 minutes um, and then you know like any other normal kid she went outside to play she went to go play golf at the end of the street, um, and she actually left and then came back home really quick to ask her mom for more golf balls to play with, and that was actually the last time that her mom saw her. Her mother, Sheila, says that Maddie went outside to play all the time, and, you know, it was just a regular thing, um, and on this day, her mother, Sheila, had told Maddie to be home before dinner um, and before it got too dark outside. So she was out playing around in the neighborhood. To me, eight seems kind of like young to be like wandering out for hours by yourself. But then, I mean, after I was thinking about it, like it was a different time, you know, it was like the 90s and I feel like it wasn't as crazy to, you know, see kids just outside playing. There's no social media, so it wasn't in our face like it is today for the awareness. Exactly. Um, because when I was eight, we were up and down the neighborhood, even sometimes well past street lights, just on front porches, whatever, hanging out with the neighborhood kids. And, you know, I would take off in the neighborhood, like, throughout the day. And, you know, I came home for dinner, you know, did the quick check-in. My mom and dad were just like, around somewhere, I don't know, eventually they'll come home. <laughs> right. <laughs> I feel like that's probably how it was for most families. Like, I, I didn't really, I think maybe where I was was the beginning of when people started to like be more because I remember the first time I hung out with um a girl who lived in my same neighborhood she just lived on another street both of our moms walked us halfway and then watched us meet in the middle so it was like a big deal for us to like be meeting in this neighborhood but I I feel like it was such a normal thing for like kids to just be like out by themselves you know, and i feel playing. like there's more kids traveling in groups and out and like there my neighborhood my block there was at least 10 kids like mixture of ages um and it was just like always somebody was around to play outside and i know it's different kids don't play outside really as much anymore as they sad sit outside on their phones mm -hmm. you know but we didn't have the phones then, so we played. Right, like, that was like the we form did. of entertainment. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Um. But yeah, at 6.20 p.m., Maddie's mom called her and her sister Jessica in for dinner. Um, Jessica came, but Maddie was still not home, and that, of course, raised a red flag to her parents. And they started to get worried because that was unusual. It wasn't like she always was, you know, rebel about not coming home. It was very unusual. So... Her mom and dad start going to all the neighbors, asking if they've seen Maddie. You know, her sister's driving around her, on her bike throughout uh, part of the neighborhood, yelling Maddie's name. And no one has seen her. 
Um, and Sheila, her mom, goes onto their front porch and just starts screaming Maddie's name just in a panic. Which I just can't even imagine, how, like, how she felt in that moment. Probably just petrified for, like, where her daughter was. So, by 6.33, so not even, like, not even... 10 minutes had gone by. Her parents had called 911 um, and filed a missing persons report for Maddie. Um, they couldn't wait any longer. And, you know, of course, they were just, like, terrified for where their daughter was. By the next day, November 4th, there were a ton of volunteers that came from their community to help the search um, of Maddie. Over a 1,000 people were searching. They made missing person signs for her. They passed out fly flyers. They even had, like, I'm pretty sure it was around 10 billboards I read up around the city if anyone had seen her. So a lot of people knew about this story, especially obviously in that area. And it seemed like so many people, everyone was looking for this little girl. Officers were going door to door to find any info and no one had anything. They all had alibis, like nobody could tell them anything. So it was kind of like a dead end. Her parents even had put out a $50,000 reward for finding Maddie, you know, just anything to get any type of information for their daughter. Um, the last time that anyone said that they had seen Maddie was at about 5.15 p.m. on November 3rd. Because she was alone and no one saw anything happen to her, there were, like I said, no leads, no answers um, to where Maddie went or who may have taken her. While police were coming up with possible theories and looking at potential leads, uh, the first man that authorities ended up looking into was a man who lived in their neighborhood, um, just at the end of their street. He ended up being the main suspect because actually Maddie was originally going to chip golf balls with him, and he was the last person, aside from Maddie's mom, to see her. His name was Larry Grissom. He was 40 years old, and he was the number one suspect. He was a lead because not only was he playing golf with Maddie that evening, but also on his record, it showed that at least 15 or 20 years before Maddie even went missing, um, he had been arrested on two separate occasions for sexual assault. So both charges ended up being dropped at the time. Um, I'm not sure why there wasn't really much info on uh, the internet about that, um, but it was still, you know, understandable why he was the prime suspect at this moment. Which is just weird that, I mean, I'm not placing blame at all, but it's just kind of weird that, like, her parents let her go play golf with this 40-year-old man. Yeah, I don't know, unless maybe he was kind of, like, a neighborhood neighbor friend of people just like, hey, that's Larry, you know. Right. I don't, I don't know. I... Yeah, because I'm, I'm sure they didn't know about these charges, and they had been dropped, so it's like, how would they know? So they probably just trusted him as, yeah, just as a neighbor. Larry, his side of the story to the police on what happened um, was that he says around 5.15, they were on a strip of grass, like about five houses down from Maddie's house to chip golf balls. Which, chip, that just means, like, partially hit them, right? <laughs> I'm yeah, not it's kind of like, like, just like tee off. Okay, that's what I thought, but. <laughs> um, he says Maddie went to get more golf balls from her house, but she didn't come back. So he just figured, you know, that her parents were like, oh, it's getting late, just stay home or whatever. He didn't think too much of it. And, you know, that does match up with her mom's story as far as her going back to get more golf balls. 
Um, but the police searched Larry's house a total of nine times, and they found absolutely nothing. They questioned him 20 times. You know, they were pretty certain that Larry was the one uh, responsible for Maddie's disappearance. The authorities even ended up having him take a lie detector test about Maddie's disappearance, um, and he actually ended up failing that. Now, polygraph tests obviously aren't always the most reliable. Like, that's why they don't use them as evidence in court, just because, you know, they, they can't always be correct. So it could have been a fluke. Um, but what ultimately ended up saving him was that he had an alibi that ended up being verified as true. So since he had a viable alibi, the first suspect, uh, Larry, was then cleared as innocent in having anything to do with Maddie's disappearance. So they were kind of back to square run after the whole uh, Larry Grissom uh, investigation. So the original reward that was offered for finding Maddie of $50,000 ended up then getting doubled within a few days to $100,000 for anyone who could provide useful information on Maddie's disappearance that could lead to answers um, or finding her. The FBI also ended up getting involved in this case um, as well after a couple of days, and Maddie's case was also broadcasted on the TV show America's Most Wanted. This case was getting a lot of attention and coverage all over to find Maddie and what happened to her. And still, despite all of this coverage, there were sadly no leads or no clues being called in to help locate where Maddie was, which is kind of surprising to me when I read that, like, there was a $100,000 reward and there weren't even, like, I don't know, no call-ins for people, which is, like, good. I don't want people to call in with fake information, but it's just kind of surprising yeah, to me. Yeah, people didn't, yeah. Yeah. But I just felt so, reading this, felt so horrible for her parents, like, how lost and, like, helpless they probably felt in a moment like this. I lost Charlotte once at a Target. She was probably, like, two or three. Ugh. And she was right by my side. I was just checking out with my debit card. And I turned around, and she was gone. And I freaked out. I even got to Target security. I'm like, oh, my God. And my heart was just like, oh, my God. And I'm like, my, you know, my daughter, have you? And I'm like spinning in circles and she got herself closed in the employee elevator <gasps> oh my god so she took a little ride oh, and wow. came back down and opened up in my little two-year-old standing in there <gasps> i ran up and grabbed her and i was just like oh my god i was like don't you ever do that to oh me again my like gosh. scared the crap out of me i mean i ran to the parking lot doors like faster than oh you yeah know, anything i could think of so, and that was just for, like, you know, five minutes. Right, right. I couldn't find her. I can't imagine. They went, you know, days, you know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I can't imagine that feeling. Like, I obviously don't have kids, but, like, I I just can't even fathom how that would feel. Like, the panic that, like, would flow through your body, like. Oh. And I felt terrible as a mom. I was like, I literally just, enough to put my credit card in and take it back out. And she was oh just like. Oh, my gosh. But it happens to so many people. Like, I know so, like, so many of my cousins have been lost and so many, I've been lost as a child. Like, I think, I think it's like a rite of passage to get lost in a store. <laughs> but yeah, I, I can't even imagine. So the search for Maddie went on for about a week. Uh, she disappeared on November 3rd and the investigation carried on for that week. And then a breakthrough happened on November 10th, 1998. There was another family who had also lived in the same neighborhood as the Clifton family. Um, they were the Phillips family. 
Uh, the family consisted of the parents, Melissa and Steve Phillips, and their son, 14-year-old Josh Phillips. So Josh had two half-siblings as well, but they were already moved out um, at this point. So they didn't live at the house, and they weren't there um, around this time at any point. So Josh Phillips was 14 years old at this time. He was born on March 17, 1984 in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Uh, Josh was very uh, happy. He was healthy. He was a normal child. He had no issues making friends. He loved making people laugh. He loved learning about a ton of different topics and subjects. He was a Cub Scout. Like, he was just a very normal child, and nobody thought anything differently. You know, there were no red flags raised. Um, Although, the one thing, though, is I guess growing up, Josh had a very strained relationship with his father, Steve. Josh says that his father was a severely abusive man to be around. He says that his father had a very extreme violent anger and temper. And he says that his father would just like snap within a second and lash out, not only on Josh, but like towards his mother as well. Uh, Josh says that he witnessed his father punch holes into the walls. Um, He says that he was terrified of his father and terrified of making him angry. Um, And Josh claims that his father, Steve, was also an alcoholic and a drug addict as well. Anti-combination. Yeah. Now, these claims were never confirmed by anyone else. Um, These allegations about Steve were all statements made by Josh himself. Like, not even his mother confirmed this. Nobody was backing up what Josh was saying about Steve. Um, And Steve and Melissa are still together today, so I'm not saying that Josh, you know, is lying or anything, but I'm kind of just putting that out there to keep in mind, uh, you know, if it's true or not. I'm not sure. Kind of, you have to make that decision for yourself. So on November 10th, 1998, Josh was at school like any other day. Um, While he was at school, his mother, Melissa, uh, she had some time to kill before she had to go into work, and she was doing some house cleaning, and she had been telling Josh to clean his room for days, and... He still had not done so, so she was just like, fuck it, I'm going to do it myself. Been there, sister. (laughs) Been there. I feel like every mom can probably relate to that, um, where you're just, like, so irritated. You're like, I'll just freaking clean it myself. Yeah. And then we throw shit away, and they never even miss it. (laughs) Never even notice. Um... Now, this uh, cleaning that Melissa was going to be doing was probably different than most of you all have experienced cleaning your children's rooms. Uh, She walked into Josh's room to start cleaning it up, and when she walked in, she recounts that she immediately started to smell a very strange odor. She says it was a very strong and terrible smell. Um, Now, Josh had three birds, so it was normal for it to kind of smell normally, but she says that this smell was different and was just like way worse okay i will say my daughter's room is not that bad right yeah when it stinks you kind of have to be like all right there's got to be like food or something left over uh opened and me and lo have seen some nasty rooms uh cleaning together (laughs) um she also noticed that josh's bed uh which happened to be a water bed was leaking uh so she was thinking you know maybe it was like mildew or mold kind of a smell that was coming from his room because of the waterbed leaking. Um, So seeing this, naturally, Melissa went to go investigate further and, um, you know, she wanted to stop the leaking. She assumed that maybe something had popped the waterbed somewhere, so she went to go lift the waterbed mattress up to find, like, the hole in it, wherever it was. 
As she bent down to kind of figure out what was going on, she noticed there was black electrical tape on the bed corner, like on the frame. And she figured that Josh was just scared to get in trouble for his bed leaking. Uh, so he put the tape there himself to try and hide it and, you know, quick fix it himself, which I feel like is very, would be a very normal thing for a kid to do because they don't want to get in trouble, like, for breaking something. So she pulled the tape apart, um, and then she noticed um, a sock, like, deep inside of there, uh, like, between the bed frame and the mattress area. So she peeled the tape apart, and she went to get a flashlight. She went to grab the sock, but then felt something cold, uh, like, with the sock. And that is when she discovered the body of missing 8-year-old Maddie Clifton dead under Josh's waterbed. So she touched, like, she touched Maddie's foot, and I just can't even begin to understand how unnerving that had to feel for her in that moment, knowing that, like, she just touched, like, not only a dead person's foot under her son's bed, but, like, the missing little girl that, you know, everyone's been searching for for a week. Oh, anxiety, panic, dizzy, upset stomach. Diarrhea. <laughs> Pepto-bismol. <laughs> Pepto-bismol. No, but like all the things. Yeah, I would throw up. I honestly think that I would just immediately throw up after doing that. Ugh. After discovering Maddie's body, Melissa, you know, she was of course completely petrified. And actually at the exact same time that she discovered Maddie's body, the police were over at the Clifton's home, which was right across the street from the Phillips house um, because the Clifton's had a patrol car parked outside of their house since Maddie um, had been missing. So Melissa ended up running across the street to get the authorities to get to her house and to, you know, come see the scene ASAP. Um, she couldn't even, like, really tell them what was going on. She was just, like, in a full-blown panic. She was probably, like, she probably couldn't even speak, honestly, because she was so, like, freaked out about this. So police entered their home, and as they entered Josh's room, they immediately smelt death and decay. And right away, they saw two little feet in white socks sticking out of the corner of the mattress. Um, now, after the authorities had seen where Maddie's body was, they knew that, you know, the, they needed to go arrest Josh and, you know, start the investigation for this. Now, researching this, um, I found two different versions. Um, one was that they waited for him to finish school. And then they, like, met him outside of the school to, like, arrest him right there. And the other was that they pulled him immediately out of class um, to bring him down to the station, which that one seems more realistic to me. I don't know. I just feel like why would they make him – why would they have him go throughout the school day? Like, why would they have him finish school? I don't know. So I don't know which one is correct, but I saw those two different uh, – Well, either way, it's only a couple hours. Right. Your story is not that flawed. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, either way, authorities found Josh at the school and arrested him right there um, on that November 10th day. Once Josh got arrested, police right away began questioning him, and Josh apparently did not resist questioning at all, and he opened up about what actually happened on that November 3rd night. Um, I guess his parents were also in the room with them during investigation, which they probably legally had to be, I would assume, because he was a minor. Um, and his parents were very encouraging, I think specifically his dad, to 
um, were very encouraging to have him tell the truth. You know, they're like, you better tell the truth right now. Like, don't even think about lying. So according to Josh's statements, he says that he was home alone that night and he was just hanging out inside of his house. And then he says that uh, Maddie came over to his home and knocked on the door asking if he would come outside and play baseball with her. Josh says that he was a little hesitant to say yes because his parents had a rule that he was not allowed to have friends over when they were not home. And he said that he also had a ton of chores that his parents, you know, were expecting him to get done before they got home. They're never done before they get home. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I guess he had, like, an insane long list of chores to do, like, so I don't know how he would have gotten those done or if he went outside to play with her. But he agreed, and he went outside and played baseball with her anyways. Um, according to Josh, he was batting while Maddie was pitching him the ball. And right when Maddie had pitched him the ball, Josh hit the baseball with his bat. Um, it was a pretty hard hit, I guess, and it ended up flying straight back into Maddie's face and hitting her right in the eye. Yeah, I um, read or heard... Um that they were only like four feet apart so they were super close together so i feel like he had no business even hitting it that hard right if like, it was that close like that's like not far at all even to be like i don't even know like 10 15 feet apart that would freaking hurt but to also be so close i can't even imagine the force that that ball had hitting her little eye and her little face yeah, Maddie obviously immediately started crying because, like, duh, that would that would hurt um, extremely bad. Um, I actually had a similar thing happen to me when I was younger. It obviously, you know, wasn't like this, but I was pitching the ball to my cousin, and it was actually a softball, so it wasn't even, like, a regular baseball. And he hit it, and it hit me really hard in the nose. And, like, I still have... Um, like, I can feel where it was still to this day because it kind of, like, fucked up my nose a little bit. And it was so painful, and it was a softball, so I can only imagine, like, being hit in the eye that close with a baseball. Like, it was a, it was a gash that she had, for sure. Sorry, I'm just staring at your nose. And... Oh, yeah, I'll let you feel it after. <laughs> Sounds kinky. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> don't worry don't worry <laughs> so maddie is of course crying and screaming in pain after being hit in the eye with this baseball her eye was bleeding um and josh said that he was just like in a panic josh said that he was terrified and panicked because he knew his parents would be home soon and he wasn't allowed to have anyone there uh, but more specifically, he says that he was petrified of what his father would do to him coming home, like, seeing this scene, you know, him hitting this little girl, even though it was on accident, with the baseball. Um, so he was just in a panic, I guess. Which I get, that's fine, but maybe, like, you know, run across the street. Or, if the time he would have got her home to her parents' house, he would have had time to walk back. Yeah, and not even... And just tell his mom and dad, hey, just letting you know... I know I wasn't supposed to have anybody over, but this happened, you know. Mm -hmm. um, we should go check on her later, you know, call Maddie's mom and find out, you know. Something of the sort, like, even if he doesn't even tell his mom and dad he did it, at least, you know, getting her home to get the proper help 
Mm-hmm. Would have been a step in the right direction. Especially since they were right across the street. Like, it's not like a long walk. He would have had time to bring her home and then run back to his house. She's an eight-year-old eight year old little girl. He's a 16-year-old boy. I'm assuming he could pretty much probably even carry her. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. He definitely could. Um, but he decided to carry her in a different direction, <laughs> sadly. Touche. Yeah. Um, he, so... Instead of doing the logical thing like me and Lo kind of just went through, Josh decided to uh, do something else. He says that he wanted to make Maddie stop crying. So in order to do this, he decided to drag her into his home and into his room specifically. And he then began to strangle her with a phone cord for approximately 15 minutes. And as if that was not enough, uh, after strangling Maddie with the phone cord josh then took his baseball bat and started hitting maddie over the head with it after hitting her with the baseball bat three times josh then stabbed her with a knife that he had in his room two times in the neck because she was still whimpering after getting hit in the head with the baseball bat oh this just like makes my skin crawl even reading this finally he took maddie's body and hid it underneath his waterbed so he obviously had blood all over him, so he quickly cleaned himself up, kind of jumping in the shower and cleaning up uh, a lot of the blood and mess that was in his room. And apparently right when he was like cleaning up and doing this, that's when his father, Steve, ended up getting home. Um, very disturbing. Josh went out there and acted like nothing had happened and like he had a completely normal day and a normal conversation with his father. And it gets even worse, if you can imagine. Um, later that night, when Josh returned back to his bedroom, he noticed that Maddie was still making noises. So he, of course, believed that, you know, she was not completely dead yet. So he removed her body back again from underneath the bed and began stabbing her. And he stabbed her in the chest a total of nine times. Um, so he stabbed her a total of 11 times. Um, and then he placed her yet again back underneath his bed. And I also read somewhere, sorry, I know it's a little bit fast, but um, he actually cleaned the baseball Yeah, before he tried to help her. That's like psychotic nature. Like, why are you thinking like that? Oh, my balls. Let me get the blood off. Yeah, what? Like, that would be, like, my last freaking thought. Like, I, I just feel like that kind of goes to show he's, <laughs> I mean, clearly, I mean, at this point we all know, but something's, something's not right up in his head so when being questioned police of course asked josh you know like what what's your motive like why would you even do this and josh's answer was that he wanted to get her to stop crying and was worried about his father's reaction if he had found out that he was playing with maddie and got her hurt which like are you kidding me like are you serious like if you were scared that your dad would get mad about her getting hurt and injured when you were just playing baseball and it was an accident like wh what did you think nobody was ever gonna find her dead body under your bed like what was your next steps but i don't understand little car air fresheners <laughs> right <laughs> yeah all over the bedroom yep so twisted 
Um, when the autopsy came back, it revealed that Maddie's cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head after being struck multiple times to the head with an object that left her with multiple skull fractures. Um, so the stabbing wasn't really the cause of her death. Um, she would have died without the stabbing also. Um, so she died because of the prior action of Josh striking her in the head multiple times with his baseball bat. Um, however, she still did obviously suffer severe trauma from the stab wounds as well. About a week after Josh's arrest on November 16th, the prosecution announced that they were going to ultimately try to um, have Josh tried as an adult. Uh, and they were going for charges of a first degree murder indictment. Um, however, because he was under the age of 16, Josh was not eligible for the death penalty, which was the prosecution, um, their, it was their goal to, and they were set on going for it if he was of age. Um, which I call bullshit. Sorry. He should be charged as an adult. Well, he, yeah, he was charged as an adult, but he couldn't get the death penalty. Oh, Okay. No, but I, I agree. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I agree. I mean, I wouldn't have been... I'm sorry, I thought you were still... Okay. I wouldn't have been uh, mad at the, you know, if it went the other way. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're going to do adult stuff, which, mm. not that should be considered adult stuff. Right. But if you're going to do an adult crime, then you do the adult crime. Yeah, exactly. I 100% agree with you. Um, and it, it gets more twisted too as we kind of unravel through the trial so during the trial a few things that were uh, to say at the least concerning were brought to light um so you know you remember josh was just a normal happy and healthy kid um well josh definitely had some skeletons of his own in his closet to put it lightly he, yeah, he had been in trouble with Maddie's parents in the past before any of this had even happened. They forbid him um, from entering their home because one time, um, which actually happened just about a month prior to Maddie's murder, the Cliftons were not home and they came home to find Josh in Maddie's older sister, Jessica's room. Like, he was not invited there or anything. Nobody told him he could go there. You know, Jessica wasn't like, oh, meet me at my house. Like, nothing like that. He just broke in and was in her room. Um, so, obviously, they were like, uh, okay, we're going to need you to stay away from our house now. And while he was in Jessica's room, he apparently stole a photo um, out of a frame of Jessica in her gymnastics leotard doing, um, like, a backbend move, which... Uh, when police were searching his room, that photo was taped to his headboard, which is just so disgusting. I'm just, I'm just grossed out even reading that. Um, and I guess, you know, he, he was very infatuated with Jessica. Like, he was obsessed with her. Um, and she was 11 and he was 14. Um, so, obviously, the Cliftons were not a fan of Josh, you know, because of this. But also because he had discussed sex in front of the two girls in the past and their grandmother had overheard. You know, so because of those two incidents, uh, they definitely didn't want him playing with the girls at all or anywhere near them. Which I wonder if Maddie knew that and went down there anyway. Right. And it's, I, like, I'm sure they is... told her, like, maybe say, oh, don't play with Josh. We're not going to play with Josh anymore, which is sad. 
that like she probably just thought, oh, Josh is nice. Josh is fun. I want to play with baseball, so I'm I'm sure he will or whatever. You know. Better voice. That yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Her voice is probably much uh, cuter than mine. <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm sure they you know told her about it but she probably just you know being a little kid kid. yeah just wanting someone to play with exactly so violent sexual images and really intense pornography that even had some like children in them were also found on josh's computer when police were searching and looking into it um he also allegedly would often break into the clifton's home and steal little things uh, here and there when, eh, like when they weren't home or whatever, like pictures and I don't know, just random stuff. Um, and there were holes found in Jessica's walls behind like posters in her room, kind of alluding to the fact that he may have made like a crawl space type thing to kind of spy into her room. Which again, this is not confirmed. This is not. This is all allegedly. So I'm, you know not trying to get sued i'm not saying this is actually true but that was brought up during the trial um which is really really creepy if it is true that he possibly could have been sitting in their walls spying on this 11 year old little girl like it's gross how do you even have the time to make that without anybody knowing right like i don't know like i guess if they weren't home and his parents just thought he was out playing and he, I don't know, it's wild. So I don't know if that's true, but if it is, that's like really disgusting. I mean, he did break in the one time confirmed and stole that picture. So I don't know. I'm, I wouldn't be too shocked if he did. Um, also Josh's computer records from the day of the murder showed that he was on porn websites from 422 to 457 PM watching a lot of like different um porn films that had to do with both torture and children so he was watching this from 422 to 457 and then here comes eight-year-old little maddie at 515 to his door and she ends up being like brutally murdered um big red flag big 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 trouble sign going there I'm gonna have to connect some dots here um yeah i'm gonna yeah i see kind of a weird uh connection between the two uh, so i don't know i'm i don't really buy that he was just scared of his dad like maybe but like he was triggered to do this because he watches like really fucked up things apparently i concur yeah now, Maddie's body was found with no clothes on from the waist down, and there was no evidence of any sexual trauma found um, from the autopsy. However, to keep in mind, it had been over a week that her body was kind of rotting away. Um, they did find sperm on her shirt, which is very unsettling. And I, I, yeah, I don't know. At some point, I don't know. He was watching porn before she came over. So it could have been transferred that way if it was there before, like on him while he was like murdering her, if it got on her, like from his shirt or something. I don't know. Or if, you know. He got off on it after she died. Which wouldn't be surprising after hearing his 
wreck his computer records, you know? You could have gone either way, folks. Yeah, like, it's very messed up. Um, But Josh says that her pants were off as a result of him dragging her body into his bedroom. Which, yeah, I don't believe that, to be honest, because of his weird porn searches that have been found. Like, well, that and the taped up picture of her sister, and obviously he's got some perverted tendencies here. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't believe that they, everything just came off when he was dragging her. Especially, he tucked her clothes into the bed like before like underneath the bed before he like put her underneath the bed so it's just kind of weird like that just seemed kind of meticulous to do like why kind of like neatly fold everything back underneath the bed before he even put her body in there i don't know just kind of definitely red flags there so on november 19th 1998 Um, Josh was relocated from a juvenile detention center to the Duval County Jail where he was held without bail while he was awaiting his trial. The trial was originally supposed to be held right in Jacksonville, Florida. However, because of how insanely popular and covered this case was, the judge decided to relocate the trial to Polk County because it was very hard to find jurors just kind of like with no knowledge or bias of this case um, because which I never even really thought about like they don't take jurors if you have your own opinions formed already about like the case which makes sense on July 6 1999 was when Josh Phillips trial had begun Um, it ended up being a very short trial trial overall it only lasted two days that makes sense because he literally admitted to all of these things, so they can't really come up with, uh, you know, a, much of a case for him. And the fact that she was, you know, stuffed like a burrito under his bed. Right. I mean... Doesn't look good for him. Doesn't doesn't look good. Can't really talk your way out of that one. Right, exactly. So, when it was over two days later on July 8th, The jury ended up finding Josh Phillips guilty of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now, in December of 2004, Josh's mother, Melissa, she tried to seek a new trial for Josh. Um, She says that the reason for wanting a new trial was because she says that Josh was, you know, only 14 years old when he did this. And he was just very young, and he should get another chance for reduced time to not spend the rest of his life in prison. I disagree. (laughs) Let's ask Maddie. Oh, wait, you can't. Exactly. Like, her life was taken away for no, no good reason at all. Not that there would have been a good reason, but, like, the stupidest reason ever. And she wants him to, like, go out and live a normal life. Yeah. And Maddie's parents... Have to go see Maddie in a cemetery. At least you get to go see your piece of shit son on visiting day in prison. Exactly. Yeah, he's still living. He's still breathing. He should live out since he wasn't eligible to get the death sentence. He should live out the rest of his days in prison. So new hearing dates were set for Josh in 2005, and then in 2008, the sheriff who arrested Josh back in 1998, along with the state attorney, uh, admitted that they were uncertain if the no parole sentencing was too harsh for a 14-year-old. They didn't necessarily say, like, 
oh yeah, he should he should get his parole um, option changed so that he can get out of prison possibly. But they were kind of just having a discussion about it, I guess, and what the right thing to do is. But then in 2012, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that sentencing a juvenile to life in prison without the opportunity for parole is unconstitutional. Um, So because of this new Supreme Court ruling, Josh's lawyers started the process to get Josh a resentencing hearing in 2015. Um, And a new sentencing date was actually set for Josh in February of 2017. So, I don't know. I get why the Supreme Court kind of ruled this as, like, an overall law. Because, like, if you're under, if you're underage, like, you don't, I don't know, I, I get it. But at the same time, like, when the murder is so brutal, like should there be an option for parole like isn't that just like his nature especially with like the things that they found it would be one thing i think if like he was genuinely scared and she died because of this and like he wanted to get no parole or he wanted a chance for parole excuse me but the fact that he had all these weird searches on his computer and he had broken into their house before and he had done literally multiple things to kill her strangling hitting her in the head stabbing her like all of this like i don't think there should even be an option absolutely not um yeah i was gonna say the same thing as you if he would have just hit her with the baseball and she just died at the house like he brought her in the house and panicked and they came home and found her body then and you know he was crying and remorseful and oh my god i didn't mean to blah 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 and they turned themselves in properly, then I could be like, he made a fatal mistake. You know, still, I would have been like, why was 911 not called? You know? Right, yeah. But, like you said, he went the extra of all the extras. Mm-hmm. And to me, that just proves that he's just sick and he's evil. And he's where he needs to be. Yeah, especially, like... Like, you had brought up him cleaning, like, making it a priority to clean his baseball and, like, having a normal conversation with his dad, like, not even, like, an hour after the murder happened. Like, it's just, it it makes it, like, he's twisted in the head. Like, I don't think he should be walking around the streets. I feel like we've covered, like, a few cases where people get out on parole because they're acting so good in prison and, like, oh, they're changed they're doing so well but then they get out and then they commit another freaking murder and it's like they were just manipulating people to you know believe that they were doing better yeah was it yosef fitzel he got out and like within hours he yes. raped somebody else or mm-hmm. kidnapped somebody else or yep he that he was definitely one of days them. or years or wasn't it him yeah he was definitely one of them because he yeah he got out and then he did it again it was before he trapped his daughter right so. yeah and then i think there was another one i did uh the guy that kidnapped the girl cut her arms off yes he did it to someone else yeah well it didn't get that far but he killed no he killed her like oh yeah he i believe what did he get out and then he killed somebody else? Or maybe it just came that before he got caught, he killed somebody else. Yeah, something like that. But he but, he did it again. And the um, Brian, I can't remember his last name, the cannibal 
one of the cannibal stories. Okay. He murdered a girl, and then he was, like, manipulating all the doctors inside of the psych ward to be like, oh, to, for them to think that he's normal and he's doing fine and he's doing great. And that same night that he got out of prison, he murdered his one of his best friends. So it's like... Gotta be, gotta think wisely, because some people... they're not manipulated. It's part of the game. Mm -hmm. It's part of... Exactly. They're, like, sociopaths. Like, they don't... They know how to, like, play on people's emotions. They don't have feelings, so they can turn it on and off. Yeah, exactly. Um, So when his date of February in 2017 actually came around, uh, Josh's attorney asked for more time to prepare Josh's case, which... Pushed the sentencing hearing back a couple of months to June 2017, which, I don't know, like, what else can you, why did you need more time? Like, he's either doing well in prison after all these years, or, like, he's not, I don't get, like, there's no new evidence or anything, so I don't know why they needed, like, extra months to prepare. Um, And then on November 17th, um, 2017, Josh was resentenced to life in prison. However, he has a new resentencing date now in the year 2023 to determine his sentence yet again. Um, So he has the possibility in 2023 to receive a lesser sentence than life in prison. Uh, They're basing this sentencing off of whether or not Josh has displayed any growth or maturity in his time in prison. Um, I personally feel like he's probably still going to get sentenced to life. I just can't imagine being part of that jury and being like no he should get out early after what he did yeah well that's next year so we'll be paying attention and yeah we'll give an we'll update be, we'll be doing updates yeah hopefully he doesn't get a lesser sentence i mean no offense his family but i just don't think he should um josh is currently being held at the cross city correctional institute in dixie county florida um and He's supposed to stay there until his next trial next year, so. Until Jesse's on trial. Yeah, honestly. Hopefully. Um, but yeah, I just, like, oh, I crawled in my skin listening to this story. Like, it was just so devastating. Just all the details of it. Like, the fact that she could have, she could be alive and well today. She probably, she may have, you know, had, like, lasting injury to her eye because it was so bad. But that's freaking a million times better than her being dead. Like, the fact that he just could have called 911, ran her over to her house, anything other than murdering her. Like, it's just so... It makes me so mad because it's just so unnecessary. Yeah, absolutely. And at least, you know, if she would have died regardless, at least the parents could sleep at night peacefully knowing that was an accident. Not going to bed every night thinking about how terrified she was exactly right i can't even oh i i started to tear up listening to this story just because it's just so sad like this little girl like oh i don't even like to think about it there were just so many details so it's awful well you can thank sarah for bringing it into your life yes (laughs) thank sarah for bringing me down this week Um, but yeah, so that is the story of Maddie Clifton. Thank you guys for sticking around and listening to it. Um, and next week we'll be back with another, another story for you.
fresh new episode. Yes. Hot off the line. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we got to go. Stay creepy. Bye. Bye.